He thinks he murdered his father. <laughs> when it's I who killed him. <laughs> Galatea. She'll come here now. Flesh and blood, not wax like you. And he, he shall be shut up in the house where they keep the mad. I, Gogol, who will do that. <laughs> he shall be shut up when it's I <laughs> who am mad. <laughs> But nobody knows that, excepting you and me. It's our little secret. <laughs> and now, I shall pray to you. <laughs> for the last time. You are listening to They Must Be Destroyed On Sight. The following podcast contains adult language, adult situations, and spoilers for the movies discussed occur often. You've been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight. Welcome. We are back. It is They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 220. And I'm your host, Lee. I have conquered science. Why can't I conquer love, Russell? And I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. If he doesn't cough, he doesn't love you. If he coughs too much, he has a cold. Harper, how you doing, sir? That sounds uh, That sounds like a definite uh, thing in the age of coronavirus, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing but incels and people of Corona. That's that's all that happens. Yeah, that's, that's all that yeah. happens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we're back. Uh, we're still in 1935, but uh, this is our last uh, little look in 1935 for a while. We're going to be covering Mad Love uh, with the great Peter Laurie. Before we get into that, we do have two comments to get through here. So uh, two YouTube comments and both good YouTube comments. Oh, nice, so, nice. Yeah, first Where's the movie? No, yeah. <laughs> we 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 did get a couple of those in foreign languages, uh, but they were not they were not as nice as where's the movie. They were like someone had a fairly I guess it's a fairly common word for motherfucker in ver- various Muslim dialogues and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, that yeah, or dialects I should say. Um, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, we have one from Jay McKenna here on our kitten with the whip and Rebus episode. Ooh. Nice. Uh, I forgot to check which episode number that was, but it's been a while since we've tackled any uh, Anne Margaret. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, he says, "Poor Skip Ward, who who played Buck. That prop tequila bottle malfunctioned in real life, and Anne Margaret actually actually knocked him out. True story. I think we did say that in the in the episode. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Skip was also the co-star, never the star. Warner Brothers signed him as a B version of Troy Donahue." And that seemed to cement his supporting actor status. He was part of the hot teen scene in the early 60s and co-starred with Elvis in Easy Come, Easy Go in 66 and with Anne Margaret and Kitten with a Whip. Well, duh. Um, his big break was supposed to be Howard Hawks produced and directed auto racing drama Red Line 7000 from 1965. But Hawks was possibly senile by then and the end result was a disaster. Okay. Um, that kind of sounds like something I want to watch, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Skip got Howard Hawks race car movie with senile lead. Yeah, mm. that sounds uh, that sounds like a you know a well, disaster. Oh, well, I mean, at that point, it's like <laughs> let's let's cast John Wayne as a twenty-something race car driver. <laughs> Who are all the kids into? Who are all the hip young kids in nineteen sixty-five into? John Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, I'm going to go on the racing strip and 
I'm gonna I'm gonna win this race for my main squeeze. He said Skip got the last laugh though and became a producer in the eighties and produced a hundred plus episodes of the Dukes of Hazard. I don't know if that's something I would necessarily be proud of, but whatever. I'm sure he got a nice fat paycheck for it. Uh, yeah, he definitely did. Uh, ironically, a young version of himself would have been ideal casting for the John Schneider part in Dukes of Hazard. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. All right. Uh, thank you for that comment. And then we move on to Shadowman4710 on our episode on Freaks. And he says, so after hearing about this film for years and even knowing how it ends, I finally sat down to watch this one this week on TCM. I'll be honest, I'm really torn on it. I think some of the scenes remain visually stunning even after 88 years, but of a lot, a lot of it really feels dated. The directing is certainly good, and there's no problem with the pacing, except that because it's only an hour long, it feels a little truncated. And yeah, like we, we did talk about how like a lot of that film is just missing. Like it's gone yeah. for good, right? Um, uh, the acting, well, amateur, amateurish uh, might be the kindest thing I can say for most of the performers. I think this is one is probably a must-see for students of film or really hardcore horror aficionados, although there isn't all that much horror in it. But I can't see it appealing to anybody else. I'm glad I watched it, but I don't. It'll, I'll be doing that again anytime soon. It's certainly not going to be on my yearly Halloween watch list. That's fair enough. Yeah, yeah I mean, I mean, it's 88 years old. What mm. do you, I mean, you know, what do you want? It, movies like that exist in a particular kind of time and space, and I think we'll get into this when we talk about this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that you know the the whole the whole thing is you know comedy and horror ages really fast ultimately yeah you know it really is the stuff that really stands the test of time is like few and far between and you know a lot of stuff from that era you sort of grade on the you have to put your 1931 goggles on to really you know like kind of put yourself back in that back in that time frame so and 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 i think that you know as a as someone who understands uh how to watch these things i think we just kind of do that naturally and i don't know like i think that's a reasonable thing to say i don't i would i'm not disagreeing with him necessarily it's just kind of like well yeah it's from 1931 (laughs) it's not gonna look as it's not gonna fulfill everything that you want from a movie in 2020 yeah, 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 and I mean, at the, and, and and still at, at the same time, it's like we're missing like almost half the fucking movie. Like it's right. yeah. so. Right. Well, and um, the other thing is that I mean, a movie from that time period, you know, these would have been, and and this feed this feeds into Mad Love as well. I think we can, I can just kind of like go ahead and state this that you know these were like played as like so double features. You would have like gone in. It's sort of like a night at the movies. So you mm-hmm. you show up, you get like a newsreel, you get you know maybe a cartoon or whatever. You see one movie, and then a break, and then you get a, a second movie. Typically, you know the second bill feature, right. and so it's more of a you know the kind of experience of sitting and watching television for a few hours as opposed to you know kind of like I'm going to go and see like one story, and that's part of why it's only like seventy minutes or whatever. Is you know that's yeah. that's just kind of the, that's just kind of what it is. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just a very different movie watching experience uh, that that was made for than what you know. Oh, I'm gonna throw it on on TCM at you know 9 p.m. on a Tuesday or whatever. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's just it's a very different kind of way of viewing it. So. I mean, it's, it's a whole different world. Like, yeah. I mean, we're we're so dramatically different now from the way we watch movies from the way they did it back then. I mean, back then you see it maybe a couple times on the week that it opens yep. and then you probably never see it again unless you live long enough to get to like the eighties when maybe it comes out on VHS or something like, or if it's very popular, it'll kind of come back in a review maybe, later on, yeah. or it'll come back, you know, like art house theaters or whatever might, you know, kind of air it, you know, down the line. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, I mean, again, I'm not even really arguing. I'm just kind of like saying like there is a, you know, anytime we're seeing something of this, this age, you know, it's just kind of a nature of like, it's not going to meet kind of what you expect it to be. So, right. Right. Yeah. So uh, we can move on to what we've watched lately. Um, I don't really have anything to mention, but I know you have a couple things. Uh, so let yeah. go. I actually had some time watching uh, Netflix this uh, last couple of weeks. Um, so I watched uh, two movies um, about, uh, <laughs> about uh, money, honestly. Uh, so I watched uh, Moneyball, which is the uh, 2011 Brad Pitt feature. Oh, yeah. This is a story of a uh, the Oakland Athletics, the Oakland A's, um, in 2003, where this kind of like low-rent team 
that didn't have the budget to, you know, hire players to actually like win ball games. Mm -hmm. And so um, they end up kind of reaching into this kind of like theory of how you uh, hire players using statistics. And it was, um, and then they end up, uh, I mean, spoiler alert, you know, for the real history, uh, they don't win the playoff. They don't win the championship, but they have like a record setting, like 20 wins in a row season. Um, and that kind of becomes like the, the arc of the movie is this kind of like battle between Brad Pitt's character, who's sort of like the manager of the team, and um, Jonah Hill, who is kind of like the hot shot, hot shot statistics nerd that they hire from this other team. And sort of like the stress they go through in terms of like, you know, getting through this process and like ultimately kind of you know, having this like really fascinating season. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a movie without an ending. It's kind of the mm. problem with it, you know, it, because it doesn't like, they don't like, it is a real story and they don't really sort of win. they just kind of, they just kind of peter off. And so the highlight of the movie is like the 20th game. And so it's like the, the big like success there. And then it's just kind of like, and then uh, it's just kind of over. It's just kind of over. <laughs> um, it's also, um, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult to kind of like feel uh, all that much uh, sympathy for, you know, <laughs> protagonist who's like, you know, yeah, I only have like $38 million to mm. play with in my, a fund and the hiring and firing players. I mean, a whole lot of the whole lot of the mechanics of the film is, you know, basically, you know, like middle management in a way of like, you know, we have yeah. to fire this ball player. We're trading back and forth. Um, I kind of like movies about uh, these kinds of things about, you know, kind of like people playing with money and numbers and paperwork, like stuff. I find them like weirdly soothing. This one was based on a novel or not a novel, a nonfiction book by Michael Lewis, who also wrote um, the big short and, and um, okay. a lot of other books of that kind. Um, this isn't nearly as good as The Big Short, which is kind of the gold standard in terms of like, you know, these kinds of movies. Um, but you can kind of see, you know, a lot of the things that sort of went into making that good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can kind of see that in kind of nascent form. And it's a very kind of similar kind of vibe. So um, it, it is it is playing on Netflix in the United States right now. So if you do um, want to see it, you can see it. And it was uh, it was worth, you know, two hours of my time. Um, the other movie was a, a 2018 um, kind of similar uh, kind of theme, uh, and this is called The Hummingbird Project. Um, and I had not seen this at all before. I didn't know anything about it until Never it kind of showed it. up. It's a 2018. Apparently, it's a Canadian-Belgian drama thriller. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, this, this is from um, uh, 2018. It stars uh, Jesse Eisenberg and Alexander Skarsgård as like these two guys who formerly worked for this hedge fund run by Salma Hayek. <laughs> and the whole thing is they're trying to build a... So the film takes place in like 2011. And the idea is that at that time, Wall Street was starting to move into high-frequency trading based around computer algorithms. And so the okay. whole idea was if you could get information a few milliseconds faster than your competitors, then you could kind of like jump to the head of the queue and make like fractions of a penny per share more than the other guys. But that, that like competitive advantage could be worth like billions of dollars if you could kind of execute that consistently. So it's so it's like it's like the plot of office space. Where they're, right. skim, they're skimming the penny off the, the banks, right. or yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not even. I mean, it literally is just like you know. And so the whole thing that these two guys do is they've like developed this plan of there's this like big data center in Kansas, and if we draw like a super straight fiber optic line between this particular like trading center in Kansas to New York City, then we can trim the like the the transmission time of the trades is like 16 milliseconds. And that gives us like a millisecond or two faster than the other guys. And so we can make millions of dollars. And so these guys basically leave Salma Hayek's firm and then kind of go off in secret. And the whole thing is like they hire a bunch of guys to like dig this line. And the drama is like they're digging this line and then trying to like get the crews to work. And so it's just, it's a really kind of interesting like idea. And there's a lot of characters in it. It's a lot of stuff happening because uh, Jesse Eisenberg ends up like he gets cancer. Like 
<laughs> you know, he gets stomach cancer and it's fatal stomach cancer. And it's like, mm. no, I have to build the line. I'm obsessed with the line. I have to get this done. And he's like taking out all this debt from these, uh, from these venture capital funders and everything. And then Alexander Skarsgård, who's really good here is the nerdy guy whose job it is to sit in a hotel room and figure out how to solve the algorithm to get the transmission time from 17 milliseconds to 16, because 17 is too much. Like you can't actually like do you can't you can't actually win at 17 you yeah. have to be at 16 or below and so he spends all his time like getting like obsessive with numbers in the in the hotel room and um yeah it, it was definitely worth a watch again it's on netflix it, it's a it's an interesting movie again it kind of um you think this might be built on a real story and it's built on kind of a real idea in oh, that yeah. there was that there was a sort of like idea of like building these lines and companies did build these super fast lines and then eventually in real life they go on and do um like a microwave transmission which is even faster than the line is <laughs> and that actually ends up being that actually ends up playing into the film uh, somewhat um so there is some kind of interesting stuff but there's a lot kind of going on and then it just kind of like <laughs> but it's very like highly fictionalized and it's highly kind of uh you know it's like I'm dying of cancer, but I have to build the line. But there's no real clear idea of like, like why are you actually obsessed with building the line? Because it doesn't seem like you really need the money that badly. You've got other options to do with your life. Like it's, you don't really get the obsession in, you know, except for like, we're just kind of told he's obsessed with it. Right. And so there's a lot of drama that's kind of built into it that way. And then it ends on this kind of thing about like, <laughs> you know, it turned out there was this Mormon family that they kind of fucked over in the process, and then they learned to be better men by, you know, apologizing to the Mormons. Oh, and, yeah. Great. You know, which, you know, it's 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 well acted. It's pretty well done. Um, It feels very made-for-TV movie in a way, uh -huh. in terms of, you know, this kind of like, you know, um, something that I might have caught, you know, on like basic cable in the 90s uh, sort of thing. It's got more of like indie cred kind of um, look to it. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely sort of more modernistic than that. But in terms of its sort of like its pleasures are, are mild, but, but there. Um, but it is kind of a mess overall. But, um, you know, again, it's an hour and 45 minutes long. And it's a, you know, it's it's a fun little watch if you're uh, interested in that sort of thing. So I kind of like people who, you know, they work in like the financial industry or whatever. And they mm -hmm. already have like more money than they're ever going to fucking need. Get like <laughs> right. hoisted on their own petard because their obsession with getting more money just fucking kills them. Like I, I like right. that a lot. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. It is like you know. It is like a lot of these movies are like. I'm the scrappy underdog. I only have fifty million dollars to play. Mm, with. You know? Yeah, it's like, like fuck you. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It is very much like that. But I'm going up against like the billionaires, and so therefore I'm you know. Yeah, fine, you're the good you know? guy. You're the good I'm the guy. Good guy. I'm the good guy. You know. Uh, let me fuck over my employees because mm -hmm. you know I've got I've got to get this in under budget, and so. Um, yeah, there there is uh, there are some like kind of more like kind of working class characters that show up there, and it's, it is like a very kind of as me describing it should it does have a lot of kind of nerdy pleasures in that sort of in that sort of vein. But um, yeah, it's it, you know again it's worth checking out if that sounds interesting to you. Um, nice. It was diverting for an hour and forty five minutes, so um, yeah. Cool. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna play a little bit of music, a podcast promo, and we're gonna come back and talk about Mad Love. How about throwing a little beach party for yourself and letting these people to get to know you oh so better? Hey kids, it's me, your good friend Alistair, here to tell you about a wonderful movie podcast called Get Soft with Dr. Snuggles. What happens is, every two weeks, the love of my life, Siobhan, and I are joined by a cast of friends, family, internet weirdos, and special guests to guide you through the wild and woolly world of erotic thrillers and softcore films. Everything from alien abduction, intimate secrets, to Zarita, Passions Avenger, and all points in between. Check it out now on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's that horrid man talking about? Take a chill pill, you should know better than to run around with your head cut off. You should know better than to run around with your head cut off. 
talking about Mad Love from 1935. This is directed by uh, Carl Frund, and he is a big-time fucking player as far as uh, cinematography goes. Famous cinematographer responsible for the development of the three-camera system used to shoot television situation comedies. Uh, yep. Alongside it, Desi Arnaz, yeah. Mm-hmm. His, 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 like, the tail end of his career was uh, filming I Love Lucy, uh, a yep. lot of that stuff. Um, but in his career, he shot The Golem from 1920. Uh, he worked with Murnau and Fritz Lang. He did, like, The Last Laugh with Murnau. He did uh, Lang's Metropolis. He's uncredited on shooting All Quiet on the Western Front from 1930. Ooh. He went on to shoot uh, Key Largo and The Thin Man Goes Home. Just a little <laughs> callback to this podcast. And uh, he also has a couple directing credits as well, some pretty significant ones. Uh, he's uncredited, but he was both cinematographer and apparently did some direction on Dracula from 31. Sure. And he directed The Mummy from 1932. He won an Academy Award for The Good Earth in 1937 for his cinematography. Best cinematography. So uh, there you go. Big time player here. And Greg Toland. Greg Toland also did cinematography on this film. And Mm. uh, he went on to do cinematography on a little movie you might have heard of, um, Citizen Kane. You might have (laughs) to do Citizen Kane. Yeah. That, that, from that that fucking hack Orson Welles. <laughs> yeah, like uh, he he's kind of the unsung hero of Citizen Kane. And if you watch this film, I mean, I saw it this afternoon and went like, "Oh, that's Greg Toland." You can see there is very clearly some of the early stuff that's going to go into Citizen Kane. I mean, some of the shots are almost like hauntingly oh, similar. To oh stuff yeah, I mean, Pauline Kael was famous for saying like, oh, Orson Welles, you just ripped off Mad Love. And it's like, well, maybe a cinematographer ripped off Mad Love. Yeah, it's the same fucking cinematographer. <laughs> yeah. Like, Come on, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I, I don't like Pauline Kael. Um, <laughs> it's based on a novel by uh, Maurice Renard, who did uh, the original uh, novel Les Mains de Orlac or The Hands of Orlac in French. Which is a better title, honestly. Mm. Then we have uh, Guy Endor, uh, who was famous for doing uh, Mark of the Vampire, The Devil Doll, uh, Hammer's Curse of the Werewolf in 1961, which was uh, Oliver Reed as a fucking werewolf, and that's pretty mm. good stuff. Uh, we also have Florence Crew Jones here, and P.J. Wolfson, they were credited for basically like adapting this and translating it, I guess, kind of thing uh, mm-hmm. for, for English. And uh, we have John L. Balderson, who we've already talked about uh, previously, uh, who basically did the run of the universal, the classic universal horror stuff. Like he did Dracula, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, The Mummy, Mark of the Vampire, Dracula's Daughter. And strangely enough, the last of the Mohicans, which we were like <laughs> pondering before. <laughs> so this is starring Peter Laurie, and I don't think we need to uh, introduce this guy. Francis Drake is uh, Yvonne Orlock, and uh, she was in not a lot of stuff uh, as as far as I can tell, like a fairly good career, but it was like only about ten years, I guess. Uh, yeah, she apparently married some uh, some royal, the uh, mm. the uh, Cecil Howard. The second son of Henry Howard, 19th Earl of Suffolk. So she married this like rich asshole who didn't like that a woman had a career, and yeah. uh, she uh, she she uh, retired when he got his money. But it seems like she was having a very nice career up until then because she worked until she worked from 33 to 42, and um, you know then she retired. But I mean, I think based on based on what we see in this film, I mean, she was she was quite good. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and she's also in the Invisible Ray, which might mm. might be might be, might be the next... one we're doing next. Yeah, so yeah, um, I was gonna say yeah. it might be our next yeah. one. 
Uh, the other only other notable one I saw there that like jumped out was like the 1935 version of La Miserable. Yeah, uh, yeah so, that yeah. seems to be the thing that most people know her from. But mm. we have Colin Clive as Stephen Orlack. Uh, we don't really need to introduce him at this point. Uh, he's great. Uh, yeah. we have Ted Healy as uh, Reagan. Uh, this guy. Okay, so we, we need to stop here and talk about this guy for a minute because I did not know any of this shit until I started looking into this. Uh, he entered vaudeville in 1919, had an act with his wife Betty at the time, which was the act The Flapper and the Philosopher. But then he teamed up with one Mo Howard and Shimp Howard, yeah. and the first of his famous stooges in his act, and they were incorporated in 1924, and then there were various combinations of uh, Ted... Uh, Betty and the Stooges, and they impaired on Broadway and continued the tour of vaudeville to 1928. In 1933, Ted and the Stooges were signed by MGM and were featured in a variety of shorts and features, and with Healy more and more frequently appearing alone as character roles. And then that act finally dissolved in 34 when uh, Howard Fine and Howard accepted an offer from Columbia Pictures and found fame as the Three Stooges. So, uh, yeah, he was... <laughs> he was one of the creators of the Three Stooges. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I was I was amazed by that. I was like, okay, this there's some shit happening. Yeah, um, I didn't look at this guy. I just checked it out his uh, Wikipedia page, and apparently there's a uh, <laughs> there's some indication that he might have been killed by his co-workers. <laughs> uh, he, he apparently underpaid them while, while they were working for oh, him. Definitely, yeah, oh. so... Fun times. Uh, the Fun the titular times. Stooges were getting like a hundred dollars, like a week or a month or something like that, when he was like raking in the money. Apparently, so yeah. Right. Well, you know, so it goes. Yeah. Uh, we got Sarah Hayden as Mary. Uh, we have Edward Brophy as Rollo the knife thrower, and he was in The Thin Man. Nice. And he was also uh, in a different role in The Thin Man Goes Home in 1944. Uh, we got Henry uh, Kolker as Prefect Rossett. Uh, we have Key Luke as Dr. Wong. He, this guy you might know as well. He was the first Chinese-American contracted player signed by RKO, Universal Pictures, and Metro-Golden-Mare. He's, he has 100 movie credits. Uh, starting off, his big sort of breaks were as number one son in, as Lee Chan in the Charlie Chan films, uh, one, one of the ones we, we've covered. He, he is probably most famous as the ancient uh, Chinese grandpa in Gremlins and Gremlins 2. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, he's that guy, eh? <laughs> nice. 50 years later, still acting. Nice mm-hmm. Nice to see, yeah. I think it was like kind of a return. Like he, Like if you look at his yeah. IMDb, he's sort of like, slowed down for a little while he was doing mostly tv and then he came back kind of became back to film with gremlins and gremlins too apparently he's one of the founding members of the screen actors guild Mm. that's pretty cool 123 television credits and probably his most famous one is as master poe in the kung fu series with david carradine so and then uh rounding out this we have may beady as uh francois our our friend Frances, Francois? I, I can't pronounce Where? it. I don't know. Who, no, but who lives in Canada and speaks French? You know? I don't know. Some people. We keep them all in one province. Um, <laughs> we have a... Uh, that's as so, it should be. That's as it should be. That, well, I mean, that's what they want. I mean, that's what they teach us. That's what they want. Uh, we can we can stoke the racial fires between the French and English in Canada and, and keep that going. That's great. Um, we have a uh, synopsis here. Uh, An insane surgeon's obsession with an actress leads him to replace her wounded pianist's husband's hands with the hands of a knife murderer. Hands which still have the urge to throw knives. And I like that as a back-of-the-box kind of thing. Feels like on on the VHS, the cover of the VHS, yeah. Feels Mm -hmm. Or that's even more like the TV guide. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Preview channel synopsis what the fuck is tv guide what are these guys talking about (laughs) but uh yeah is this is this a first time watch for you first time yeah first time watch for me yeah all right uh give me your sort of general thoughts uh i liked this a lot i think uh you know it is it is kind of one of those uh you know i think almost an hour and seven minutes long Mm -hmm. 
does not overstay its welcome. It is definitely, you know, it feels very, um, you know, to the point. It, it gets the job right. done. There's a lot in this movie, you know. I mean, you've got kind of the, you know, the stymied love story. You've got the real love story. You've mm-hmm. got the, you know, the killer who throws knives. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of those you know there's a whole movie around like the killer who throws knives right you know like yeah, yeah. feels a little bit like like a bond villain or something like that um <laughs> you got like execution by guillotine and there's a lot kind of going on and then like in the last like 20 minutes all of these elements kind of come together and uh <laughs> it gets a little bit confusing exactly mm-hmm. kind of what's going on because they replace they replace this guy's uh, Orlac's hands with the killer's hands, yeah. and then he can't play piano anymore. I mean, he can play, but he can't play at his like he, concert. He, he, he just can't play as like the best pianist in the world ever, right? Anymore. Well, yeah. he loses his career, right? He can't yeah. he can't play the way he used to. Although he has now gained the ability to like throw knives at mm-hmm. like super professional. So you would think like, hey career change maybe is what i need to do i need to go i can go be a performer somewhere i have other things you know at my disposal than being able to play the piano so it doesn't even seem like he really tries that hard to learn to play the piano again you know i mean there is something okay i okay yeah we need to talk about this right now okay we need to get this the fuck out of the way (laughs) okay so this guy he loses his fucking hands Right. In a, in a train accident, if I'm mm-hmm. remembering correctly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know what he was doing. Maybe he was trying to get his bag while the fucking car was flipping or something. I don't know. But fucking. Oh, my God. So it's not. So presumably this is, you know, I, I guess it's set in the 1930s, right? Is, is yeah. It, it seems or? to be contemporary to, you know, the time period. Yeah. Yeah. So this wild sci fi fucking idea of being able to transplant body parts in 1935. And it's successful, and it's not only so successful that his hands work, he can right. play piano, like, you know, pretty decent for, <laughs> like, I'm looking at him going, like, I can't do that, <laughs> you, you fucker. <laughs> right. yeah. and, and he, and what what kind of great pianist was he if he's, like, all of a sudden, he's all of a sudden destitute and desperate for funds, and some fuckers come to collect his piano because he can't pay for it. He can't be that great of a pianist if he if if is fucking you know if, if he was like job to job kind of thing. Like I, I'm, I'm sorry. Like yeah, I mean just... I kind of get the feeling there's a little bit of time compression going on there where you know uh, maybe it, it, there is like kind of like a like a, a year or two period or something mm-hmm. where like he's he's supposedly like slowly learning to read pl- uh, learn how to play the piano fair. Okay, and they're yeah. kind of like taking his stuff and we're just not like there is a little bit of like it's an hour and seven minutes long and they've just compressed a lot of that down like the audience just sort of gets it right you know so yeah that's sort of the way that i take that i mean the idea that like somebody could be injured and then like have to like work through injury and like, you're never going to be kind of back up to like you know like you get that in a lot of like athletic stories oh i broke my knee or i pulled a tendon <laughs> and it's not that like you would never be able to tell six months later from like a normal human being perspective mm-hmm. that I've been injured, like it's fine, but suddenly I'm not like a professional class athlete anymore. You know, that's something yeah. that's like very, very real. And so, you know, you sort of buy that like, okay, his, he just doesn't have like the manual dexterity to play the piano anymore. Although the film seems to like, there's like this sort of essentialist vision of that. There is some like quality of his hands themselves that it wasn't mm-hmm. like, Oh, the quality of the hands allowed me to play piano at this like super high level. And so now that I have this other guy's hands, I have his skill. Despite the fact throwing knives, this is much about like <laughs> manual dexterity. dexterity. Yeah. Being able to weigh things properly. I mean, you know, there's the whole like it's not just literally in the wrist, you know, how to throw a knife. <laughs> this this is a bit of a genre trope. I mean, it is kind of like there there is a sort of I'm haunted by the dead guys, you know, hands yeah, or whatever, you know, sort of thing going on. But um, I mean, to put this in context, the first successful transplant of a hand was in 1998 in right. in uh, Lyon's France. Um, so that one. It was successful transplant, and it took for a while. But uh, eventually, the, the the patient's body re- rejected the hand. Uh, right. it actually, it was actually the forearm. It was like a whole forearm that was sure, rejected. sure. But and pr- apparently, a part of it was the fact that the uh, the patient wasn't following procedure as well. Right. Yeah. So, but the first ever double hand transplant was performed in uh, two thousand, 
and mm-hmm. that was actually successful because uh, they they had advanced to the point where I guess it was like the immuno response from yeah. the from the yeah. tissue was was refined to the to the point where you know they they could uh, they could make it work. But I mean, so this guy, sure, you can't play the piano as good as you used to be able to, but you can touch your woman again. You can drink some booze. You can yep. jack off. You can wipe your own fucking ass. <laughs> I wouldn't be too despondent about it, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it is. I mean, but it is kind of like. I mean, we're just kind of given this thing, and it's also like one of the things that I really enjoyed about this film is just how much his wife, like how much he and his wife love each other. Like mm-hmm. that's just. It's just so. You just even now you don't really see that as much in movies of like just just they just dote on each other. The it, was, whole it was more like, uh, thin man stuff. Yeah, more thin yeah. man stuff. And she's just she's just totally down. She's like, you lost your hands. I mean, she's she's being hit on. She's like this famous actress who like mm-hmm. gives up her career so that she can go be with this guy as if they don't have theaters in Paris apparently. Well, she's she's getting tired of this this type of theater. Like it's the right, uh, yeah. it, it's it's a take on the um was it the the, the Grand Guignol or whatever right, uh, right, theater yeah, in yeah, France yeah. or whatever. And like that's all about like staging horrific murders and right. stuff. Right. Like so that. there's like so there's this wax figure that's made out of her and mm-hmm. she yeah, there's there's a whole like kind of narrative there and there's a little bit of a you know, this kind of synecdoche kind of like moment of like, there's a guy with like, who's supposedly missing a head, but it's really just like a guy who's like head is in the torso and he's like taking the tickets and everything. And so there's this, mm-hmm. and then that kind of plays back later in yeah. the film with like the wax figure and everything. There's something really interesting kind of going on there in terms oh, of, I, I like, um, I like all the, the sort of little motifs that are going on here. Like even like yeah. in the opening credits where you see a hand come up into your view and smash the glass pane that the credits are right. written on. Like uh, it's right, good stuff, yeah. man. Yeah, no, there's a ton of like great visual moments. I mean, I think we have, I mean, it's kind of difficult to describe it, but there's a lot of like moving camera photography. There's a lot of like deep focus photography. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really nice kind of German expressionist stuff going on here. I yep. mean, this is really, really sophisticated filmmaking for its time. And even today, I mean, I think this is like a really gorgeous film. I think it's definitely worth seeing. I mean, it's a two dollar rental on, 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 on Amazon. So I mean, mm. it's totally worth it, kind of, kind of checking out if you're, if you're going to do that, but all the stuff that we just mentioned is kind of in like the first, like 25 minutes, of the movie, <laughs> you know? So, you know, there's a wax figure, there's an actress, she's getting married married to this guy and then you got this creepy guy who's he sits up in the box office and watches her you know all the time he's mm-hmm. like kind of the big wealthy benefactor to the theater and so he gets to come in on this party she's retiring and she's cutting the cake and she's like getting out giving out a cake a piece of cake and like a little kiss on the cheek to yep. all the like people and then he gets in there and he's like where's my kiss and he goes like super creepy like really aggressive 39 steps style <laughs> you know, like you know rapey kiss and it's like oh yeah this is this is uh this is fine this is fine um but the film knows that it's knows that it's awful as well you mm. know but it is funny that like the film knows it's terrible but all the kind of people around her are just kind of like oh look at that scamp you know like of course he has to do this but also like he's the wealthy benefactor so he has to you know so they kind of have to play ball with him so there's yeah. something kind of interesting going on there but the, so this is how we are introduced to Peter Laurie kind of as this character. Mm-hmm. And he's this, she just kind of wants to get away from him. She doesn't really want to be involved. Well, she's in, di- in she's disgusted by him. No, she's yeah. totally disgusted by him. She's kind of has to, you know, play ball with him. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> then when her husband's hands are injured, she's like, okay, well I can, I can make this happen because this guy will, you know, kind of do this because, yeah. you know, I can, I can basically just ask him and because he loves me, he will do the thing. And you think that's going to kind of be an element, but then that doesn't even really, I mean, it kind of comes back at the end, but like, she doesn't really have to give up anything for that. It's more just like she asks him and he says, okay. And then oh, he yeah. does the surgery, but then there's also the guy, like the, the killer who just happens to be executed on the same day, mm-hmm. you know? So there's a lot of kind of coincidence happening right there in that middle of the film. And then at the end, it just kind of becomes like all these kind of plot threads come together at once and uh, Peter Lorre as Gogol goes like completely mm-hmm. nuts and he starts, uh, you know, kind of getting into this like obsessive, like hallucinatory, you know, kind of fugue state um, mm-hmm. and really gorgeous photography. But you do kind of start to feel the limitations of the runtime towards the end. Yeah. Where yeah. It's not so much that I want it to be longer 
I do want to be longer, but as much as I think, man, there's a lot here, and I wish we spent more time on like this element of the film instead of like kind of cramming it in the last like ten or fifteen minutes. So it there, feels there kind is, of unbalanced to me. There is a lot going on for uh, an hour eight minutes outside of like the the sort of love triangle thingy. They f- put in this police procedural underneath it. You even go as far as to have like a proto true crime buff on the train who is obsessed <laughs> with the, the knife killer. He's like, it wants to get his right. autograph and wants to hear it's about like, his, I've life. got a hundred autographs here. You know, he's a, uh, you know, <laughs> Billy Gilbert as the autograph seeker on the train. <laughs> yeah. And, and he, and you know, he, in, in 2020, he'd be doing a podcast on like John Wayne Gacy or something like right, that, yeah. you know, but yeah, the, there is a, maybe a bit too much going on, but there's all these really great sort of striking visual moments in this that right. I really like. I, I like the aftermath of the train crash. It looks like a fucking plane crashed there. Like, yeah. it, it's that massive. You, you get onto the visuals of uh, how uh, Peter Lorre, uh, later on in the film, he disguises himself with the neck brace, and he puts on, right. like, those weird hands he's got where he's he's trying to basically gaslight uh, Orlac Right. Into thinking that he's the murderer, right? Is like, oh no, the- yeah, no, that's that's really interesting stuff. To where like he, he kind of shows up, and you think, oh my god, it's this like kind of more body horror stuff where mm-hmm. like he actually did sew the killer's head back on and gave him this set of like mechanical yeah. hands, and this is gonna be like again kind of like the James Bond villain kind of figure like this person is going to be like the big heavy for the rest of the movie then it ends up it's just no no it's just gogol he's just he's just peter Lorre hanging out and being like this guy thinks he killed his dad but it turns out i killed his dad look at me i just set all this up for for myself and it's like yeah no there's a whole like hour-long movie just in that little 10 minute section yeah. right there yeah yeah, I like that. And at the same time, I still have like a bit of sympathy for Laurie because he's like, yeah. he's, he's obviously this really awkward, socially inept, but he's also like a super professional at what he does. He, he's a guy who sews two donor hands on a dude. Well, not donor hands, but new hands on a dude. <laughs> and they work. They're like, they work. Yeah beyond what you could even possibly expect it's just it's just that kind of like the stereotype of like the you know the like autistic incel you know with this like yeah you know, super super talented like surgeon and, and it also kind of works that surgeons this is no disrespect to surgeons but there are doctors and then there are surgeons and there's a, there's mm-hmm. kind of a difference here and not that surgeons obviously go to medical school but ultimately like your job as a surgeon is you have incredibly intricate knowledge of how to cut things you know Mm-hmm. cut once measure twice sort of you yeah, know, yeah. Kind, of, kind of thing like it really is just like it really is more of a mechanical practical skill as much as you know anything and there you know you even kind of get jokes and you know various kind of medical dramas of like no no, no i'm the surgeon i just show up and they say like cut here and i just cut like mm-hmm. i don't have to know any of that like it's just you know i mean it is a, it is a very different kind of skill set. yeah surgeons know? don't have to talk with people they just have to right, do their right, job right right and and they don't have to you know and it, it just is a very kind of different kind of experience of of being in that, that level of medical professional you know i mean there are people who's you know your entire job is to do like one very specific highly technical surgery and so you make the exact same like cuts on you know 10 patients a day for mm-hmm. you know for a career you know because it just has to be done that's just yeah, that's yeah. just your job you know so it's very very worthwhile but it, it does kind of make sense that he is this guy who like i'm completely socially awkward i have like no ability to kind of deal with people i've got this team of people all around me and you even get like there's a lot of like really good footage of you know kind of putting the dressings on and like, mm-hmm. washing his hands and doing all the thing and you really get the sense of and that's not what real like operating procedure like you know kind of kind of dressing dressing for an operating room kind of looks like is you know like you know you kind of come in you're literally just you have your hands up you somebody puts the gown on you you've got a mask you've got all this kind of stuff and you just kind of walk in and then you just hands it down and do the thing somebody's like mopping your brow because yep. like it has to be like all sterile and everything um and and you know it's just kind of funny to see like 1935 this is kind of the early days of even like modern medicine basically starts around 1900 yeah <laughs> you know mm-hmm. like prior to that there just didn't exist like medicine as we understand it but um it was it was kind of interesting to see like the amount of effort they put into like making those sequences look real look look like kind of like legit 
legitimate sequence as opposed to you could imagine sort of a, a lesser version of this and where it's just oh i'm a surgeon let me put my gown on and go in and like he's got like kind of the big rubber gloves I mean, you could see like a like a really exaggerated mad, mad scientist kind of version of this but no it feels very like legitimate and real in a lot of ways you know? he's even got a he's even got a like a record player there and he's got someone puts the fucking needle down on the on the yep. record you mm-hmm. know and so he's got yep. his music to focus on while he's doing it and everything yeah it's good stuff. Funny stuff here. I I like. Uh, does this does this? I probably missed this. Does this movie ever change uh, locations that it's set in? I th- I thought it was all set in France. Was it not? There's a train. Maybe. Did they ever move back to England? Because that's where they're supposed to move to, right? They're supposed to move to England. Yeah, I think so. Okay, because I'm I'm watching this and I'm like, is this set in France? Because nobody here has any sort of French yeah, accent. No, nobody, like, nobody has any French accent. No, not at all. And, and and the weird thing is they make a distinction between the American and the French characters where it's like they have the American reporter who's just like so American it's fucking hurts kind of thing. Right. And and the, the Rolo the killer is also American. And right. there's this funny scene where it's Rolo's kind of likable and the reporter is getting along with him before his execution. And it's interesting. It's like I was thinking, what the fuck's going on here? And then I was reading into the background of this, and apparently, in the original story, and uh, and we'll get to the other versions of this film. But the original version of this film, the Rolo's innocent. Actually, he's like framed wow. for murder or something like that. So it it almost feels like that aspect was not purged a hundred percent out of the story. Right after the yeah. fact, after they changed it, that he's yeah, he's just a killer or whatever. He he just happens to be a really likable killer because he's you know in the original story he wasn't a killer at all. <laughs> right. well, and I mean, you know, he's just got kinda of, he's got a kind of a cool gimmick. I mean, you know, if you're gonna mm-hmm. be a killer, you know, hey, you know, I throw knives from twenty feet away and kill yeah. people that way, you know. Oh well, you know, okay, dead shot. Go ahead, you know. <laughs> I mean I mean, I think he was in the wrong line of work. I mean, he shouldn't have been just going around killing people. He should have been like hired by like a mafia or some shit to get get to get the job done. You know, but whatever. <laughs> right. Uh. <laughs> the CIA. He just didn't live long enough to be uh, to, to go and kill Castro. That's really the problem. Did didn't live long enough to have like a cyanide cane gun or whatever the fuck you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I I also liked like there's a like a sense of sort of macabre sort of humor in this where like, oh there's a ton of great humor in it yeah. where like the reporter so the re, so there's this whole thing where so uh gogol he buys the wax statue of our of mm-hmm. our actress here you know because he's so obsessed with her and and he starts like hallucinating like oh she's this other statue that was created by the gods or whatever you know kind of thing right, like, right. he's got this whole thing going on but point is he he buys this wax figure and people see this being transported to his house. And then the word gets to the reporter, and the reporter thinks, oh, he's had Rolo the killer's body transported to his house, so what the fuck's going on there? And he mistakes. Right. And, and there's this whole, like, almost shaggy dog kind of thing where it's just, you know, he's, he's just like fucking, everybody's got the wrong idea of what's going on here. And then that eventually leads to our actual, you know, our heroine here, the, the actress showing up at Gogol's house and the housekeeper, who's a drunk, a blind drunk <laughs> with a parrot on her shoulder half the time. Um, and she hallucinates and thinks that the, the actress is the mannequin and it's gotten loose. And so she, she shoes her back up to the room where the mannequin is and locks her in there, which right. is just like... Okay, that's, and when she, when she tries to talk to the housekeeper, the housekeeper's, oh shit, now the mannequin's talking. I need to get the fuck out of here. And she runs I mean, out the, to the, the street. Film, the film knows how ridiculous the material mm-hmm. is, you know, and, and it does, like, it leans into, it leans into, I mean, Laurie's performance is, is phenomenal. I mean, mm-hmm. because it's Peter Laurie, and of course his performance is phenomenal. But this is, this is really top-notch Laurie, I think, you know. Well, everything you go for for a Laurie performance is right he, here. He, he's selling, he's selling some really really bad lines like yes there's there, there there's like the early early shot where he discovers that the actress he's obsessing over has a husband and he's like she has a husband and the camera immediately does a like a quick close zoom to him and it's right. like that's right out of a fucking sitcom and it's like oh shit he he went on to do fucking you know he went on to do fucking i love lucy so you can kind of right. see that kind of shit <laughs> You should play your wackety schmackety do uh, <laughs> clip right there. Wackety schmackety do. Oh, 
now I got a gaslighter husband. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> she will be mine eventually. All I have to do is wait for him to get into a train accident. Like in the other, there's an alternate version of this where it's like the end of Unbreakable, where like you know Samuel uh, Jackson like set the you know train to to crash the whole time, and then so you know now his hands are mangled, and now she's gonna have to come after and do the thing, and you know yeah, there's a. <laughs> There's a whole there's a whole version of which he Kaiser Soze'd the whole thing to begin with. But, uh, they called me Mr. Glass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's there's a lot of great there's a lot of great humor in this. I mean, it does have it does have like kind of a dark sense of humor. It's got um yep. you know again a, a, a lot of great performances. I mean, Laurie is obviously kind of the star here, but yeah, um, yeah. I really liked. I got to mention this. I liked Frances Drake is is Yvonne Orlack. I think she's, she's really good. She's really good. Um, she's got a real like screen presence. It's a shame that she retired so young. I don't know if she was happy, then that's fine, you know. But she lived until two thousand as well, so she mm-hmm. she had like a ten year career and then lived for like another fifty years. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, With, you know, uh, and I mean, for what it's worth, she does a really good job too of just standing still because half the time she's playing the mannequin. That, right, and she's uh, playing the know. mannequin. So you so. know, it, you know, no, she's she she's great. Um, Colin Clive, obviously, I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's great here. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is just like, it is funny, like, this is a, like a long list of really talented people that made this thing, and it's a, it's kind of a shame that, I, I don't remember exactly how I found it, I found it through, you know, just, you know, kind of Googling titles, I think, when I was kind of starting to put the list together, um, you know, but this is pretty phenomenal stuff, I mean, this is, this is pretty mm-hmm. phenomenal, and it's, a little bit lost, I think. I mean, just a little bit. It really you know, is a little bit, little bit kind of. You know, people don't people don't know it. I really don't see people really talk about it ever. I mean, it's not a title that kind of jumps out at people. And go, oh yeah, Mad Love. If anything, you think like, oh, that wasn't that the Drew Barrymore movie. <laughs> that that's the thing. Like you you search for it and you get that more than anything else. Right. And, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that's a good segue here. Let's get into the releases here. So like sure. I said, Amazon Prime. Uh, you can get it at iTunes or Vudu. And I assume, so what, what was, what did the, uh, what was the quality of the version you saw on Amazon Prime? Was it good? Good and clean? Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah clean, okay. clean copy. Um, it had some, uh, cigarette burns, but other than that, it, it looked, it looked fine. I mean, it didn't, I don't know if there was, if it was like, it was standard definition. So I don't know if, uh, you know, there's kind of a better quality version out there, but it looked, you know, it looked fine, but it didn't look, uh, it didn't look great. Let's put it that way. Okay. So, uh, for people out there, the version I watched, which is, you know, the free version that you can find pretty much online is uh, Las Manos de Orlac. It's under that title, but mm-hmm. it's on the Internet Archive and it's it's still oh. the English language and it's just got like, uh, you know, Spanish titles or whatever under mm. underneath it. So there are DVDs of this, but they are also very hard to come by there. I guess they're pretty much out of print. Uh, there yeah. was a Warner Brothers Hollywood Legends of Horror Collection from 2006 and also re-released in 2016. And it also comes with Mark of the Vampire, The Mask of Fu Manchu, Dr. X, The Return of Dr. X, and The Devil Doll. But I was looking at the prices, and I guess the 2016 release is pretty good if you can get that snatch it up but the like the 2006 release the best price i was seeing was like 80 bucks or something like that oh wow yeah it's like yeah fuck that so this has never had like a standalone release at all like that no uh no standalone dvd no standalone blu-ray it it's only standalone release i could see was a late 80s i believe vhs yeah, no, um, yeah, the version I saw on on, uh, on Amazon looked looked pretty good, but that's uh, that's not a good sign. <laughs> if it's mm. uh, you know a movie of this quality, which I mean is a little bit a little bit of a lost gem, a little, a little bit, but like Peter Lorre's big thing, you know, that kind of brought him into Hollywood. Um, tons of great actors. I mean, just I mean, fuck Greg Toland, you know, <laughs> like the pre citizen Kane, Greg Toland. That enough. Should be enough to give it like a Criterion I, release or something, you know. That's, like, that's what I'm thinking. Like, I'm so surprised this this isn't a Criterion release. Like, when I was thinking about it, it's like, okay, we're, we we planned this a couple weeks ago to do this, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to search on YouTube, and I'm going to find like a rip of the Criterion release. It's just going right. to be there, right? And yeah. it's like, no, it never happened. Never was. Maybe that's something down the down the road or whatever. But fuck, man. Yeah, which uh, this is this is MGM, so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, nope. no. I mean, why? Why no? 
Why no release? I, I don't know, know why. I don't usually know why the reason know. usually the reason is there's some kind of legal issue where there's some yeah some some rights question of like who who owns it. Um, I mean, if you found like a public domain version of it in, with Spanish subtitles at that, like you know, like that's a that's a sign that like there there might be you know some that that tells you a little something about like, what the um, what the uh, release history of this was. Um, you know, apparently it was not successful. I know that that's no no no. Uh, budget was four hundred three thousand uh, dollars. Domestic box office was one hundred seventy thousand, oh. and international was one hundred ninety four. So, you know, it, it didn't even release. Scrape together its no. its uh, budget, so yeah, yeah. Which is, I mean, it's a shame. It's a shame. I mean, it it is it is weird. Like how how did this get lost? You know, is sort of the the question because it's it's much better than a lot of other stuff we've seen from around mm-hmm. this time. You know, yeah. I mean, it is a little bit of a mess plot wise, but um, you know, why why this didn't why this didn't you know make make more waves is is an open question. Yeah, even then, it's like you know, it's a mess, but. It's 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 an only it's it's only an hour of a kind of a slightly messy right. plot. It's like it's not like they've extended it for like two and a half hours. And it's right. like oh, get on with it, motherfucker. Um, so this was uh, Peter Lorre's first American film. Uh, yep. He was under contract to Columbia Pictures, but he agreed to be loaned to MGM for this film if Columbia would do a film version of Crime and Punishment. Hmm. Uh, for him. This was preceded by the 1924 Austrian uh, silent film, The Hands of Orlac, starring uh, Conrad Veidt. Uh, <laughs> this was remade in 1960 under the same name, uh, and there are films with similar premises that are notable here, like Hands of a Stranger from 1962, The Crawling Hand from 1963, and one of my favorite little sort of crap classics, Body Parts from 1992 with uh, oh, Jeff Fahey. Nice. Which is some similar presence, you know, the uh, the killer's body parts force you to kill kind of thing. So we have a little bit of Hayes Code thing here. The Hayes office cautioned the studio about showing scenes of the dead, injured, or dying after the train wreck. Some countries banned the film altogether, while others <coughs> cut the scenes of torture, guillotining, and strangulation. After its initial release, 15 minutes were cut from the film, including a pre-credit warning to the audience and the... S- and the uh, surgery to obtain Rolo's hands. Uh, oh. And I don't think I saw any of that stuff in the version I watched. No, no. I, so there's, there's, a, there's a, hypothetically, there was a longer version of Spawn release. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, 15 minutes cut. Is, yeah. The, so. I mean, so it would have been, what, an hour 20? To, yeah. You know, if there's a, yeah, which feels a little bit more like a, you know, kind of a standard release. So, yeah, that's. I, I, yeah. I do got to say, I do got to say, I, I, I I forgot to mention, I really love that montage of uh, Orlac's recovery of his hands where, you know, mm-hmm. he, he's going to appointments and getting like weird shit done to his hands. And right, yeah. and then eventually he finally gets them up to that weird spiral, that expressionist <laughs> German spiral. Yeah. And it's like, uh-huh. yeah. Like, I yeah. love I love the like the, the wrapping around his hands and he's like at the park with his wife. Yeah, he's like. like I love your strong arms and like hold me and he's like kind of doing the thing. I mean, again, it does have, it, there is a, there is a, there is a, an element of humor there. I, I was kind of thinking about like Frankenstein's monster. That's you know? exactly what I was thinking. He's hugging her like Frankenstein's monster would do. Yeah. I mean, and, and it does, and it does, you know, it does lean into that. I mean, it is mm-hmm. sort of like this. I mean, it does this horror comedy thing. I think it's, it's do it. I mean, this is deliberate. I don't think this is, you know, I'm, I don't think it's a, as much of a mess is as you might think it is. I think it, I think this mm-hmm. is deliberate. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so are we going to do the, uh, the, the Karloff film, the, uh, invisible the Ray, v- visible Ray. You want to do that yeah. next? We'll do that yeah, next year. No problem. Cool. Yeah. cool. I'm recording this on Halloween. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like our Halloween show and, uh, it's a good, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. Yeah. You know? yeah. And it was nice to watch on Halloween, honestly. So, you know, Halloween of coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so <laughs> which might be next Halloween and the Halloween after as well. <laughs> you never know the way things are fucking going, man. Yeah, I mean, Britain's about to do another one of their little bullshit lockdowns, but you know, right. because well, because they know. didn't do a proper one the first time. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, cases are spiking. Uh, election day is uh, only a few days away in, in the United States, and so uh, we will see. We will see. Maybe there. Maybe this is the last episode of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. Who knows? <laughs> it could be. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, but until then, Daniel, tell people where they can find you on the interweb. 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Daniel Lee Harper, uh, and I do another podcast about um, Nazis. I talk about Nazis. Uh, it's called I Don't Speak German. Uh, I don't speak German.libson.com. I also did um, a, a recent episode of a podcast called Embrace the Void, which is a philosophy podcast about the work that I do tracking Nazis. Um, and so uh, if you have not listened to I Don't Speak German and want kind of an intro to that, uh, that Embrace the Void episode would be uh, kind of worth checking out. And I don't have that URL handy, but we can put it in the show notes so you can Yeah, we'll out. do that, definitely. Yeah. Uh, you, you're also, uh, it's it's a couple weeks now uh, back, but you were on Jacked Up Review Show talking about Law & Order. Yes, I was. I was on the Jacked Up Review Show talking about Law & Order. So uh, put that in the show notes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a fun time. And uh, yeah. Good, good, good hanging out there. I recorded that one so long ago that I, you know, <laughs> you know I mean, recorded that like six months ago or something. I'm, I'm amazed by how Cameron Sullivan just like, bang, like he bangs off podcasts like a fucking crazy man and he banks yeah. them. And he, he bangs he, them. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't like, know how he does it. When we were recording and he's like, hey, do you want to record tomorrow? I'm like, I can't. I can't. I got to, you know, mm-hmm. give me, give me another. Like, I mean, he just, he just slotted it right in and was like, all right, let's go. So, all right, great, cool. Yeah, apparently, I'm next next time I, I talk with him, we're going to be doing all the original, uh, legit Emmanuel films, I guess. So, nice, uh, nice. I've got to try to fit that in until before sometime next month. <laughs> yeah, it turned out I did not have time to watch uh, to rewatch twenty seasons of Law and Order, uh, twenty eighteen seasons of SVU, and uh, what seven of of Criminal Intent before. <laughs> I, uh, before. So, you know. <laughs> but, but I listened to it. It was still pretty. <laughs> yeah. It was still pretty good. It was still pretty yeah, yeah. good. So yeah. yeah. No, so yeah, it was it was a fun time. Check it out. Yeah, uh, and you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com, or you can find our Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Facebook links. Join the Facebook group. Best way to find out what's coming up on the podcast, and best way to interact with us. Uh, of course, also you can go on to the Podbean page and find the uh, email address where if you want to send in audio uh, comments or whatever. Uh, via mp3 format we can play those on the show because of this handy little soundboard i have so uh when i do have it running properly and i'm not fucking (laughs) it up we'll see how that happens but well it was working today and that's that's good enough yeah something's going right in my life um but yeah uh thank you guys for listening thank you daniel and we will see you guys in two weeks bye-bye we'll see you cheers
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For further episodes, our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs>